Hey, everybody. Welcome to the Building Wise Families podcast. I'm Alan, here with my wife, Corey, and we have a special guest with us today, Heather McFadden. Heather, if you haven't already heard of her, is the host of the Don't Mom Alone podcast. With over 14 million downloads, Heather's weekly interviews have been listened to at least once in every country on the planet. She's a mom of four growing boys, and she knows how it feels to be a busy parent trying to find community. We have been following Heather's podcast, Don't Mom Alone, for a long time. It was probably the first parenting podcast that we started listening to, and we just love how she connects you to resources, people, mentors, so you don't mom alone, right, Heather? That's what you say every time I've got it in my head. You got it in your head. Yeah, when I try to change it up, I mess. I can't. I can't not say it the way that I say it, so... I'm glad it sticks. <laughs> no, and it's good and it <laughs> encapsulates what, what you do on it. We love it and we've been so blessed by the podcast. So thank you. We're so excited to talk about your book today and ask you our parenting questions about community. I'm honored anytime anyone invites me to their space. So thank you for having me here and I'm excited to chat. Let's do it. So Heather, you've written a book called Don't Mom Alone, which is available now. Uh, The title of the book matches the name of your podcast. So can you tell us more about why you chose that name? So I don't know how long y'all been listening. Were you God-centered mom listeners? Yes, we were at first. Okay. So that was the blog name eons ago before there was Facebook. I feel like an ancient (laughs) when I say that. Uh, And so it was just a way to kind of connect what I was learning in motherhood and write about it online. And then I started the podcast of the same name. And about three years ago, we rebranded to Don't Mom Alone. And that came from one, the very, very beginning of it was a listener. She started taking the episodes and using them as curriculum for her small group. And she would write discussion questions and she would pick and choose which episodes and kind of create a curriculum. And that launched our podcast clubs where it could be an excuse for moms to kind of not just listen as they're going about their days, but listen and then gather together and talk about it. And so we started using the hashtag don't mom alone. And then as it was really connecting, that phrase was connecting with people. I thought, you know, that still encapsulates my desire which as God-centered mom, I cannot do this. If I put myself in the center, if I put my kids in the center, it just fails every time. But when I put God there and he is the one driving the ship of this parenting journey, things go better. So actually the first third of the book is about um, our relationship with God and that relationship that you need is really getting to the heart of what you believe about yourself and your identity and what you believe about God and his part in your role as a parent. Oh man, I love that. Yeah. We've done a lot of work ourselves in the, you know, identity and it's a lifelong work, but I love how your book is going to help parents, including us take that to a deeper level, like let God transform us. So you're saying when we are putting God in the center, we're centering our lives around him, this then can overflow to how we do community. Is that like, this is the foundation and parenting, but the foundation for me was I had people around me and most likely whoever's listening knows they need community or has people. It's not like they're living literally on an Island with no one. Now 
we had the pandemic, but even then there was a way through technology to connect with people. And for myself, I found that I wasn't kind of tapping into that community because of my wrong held beliefs about who I was as a mom, who God was and his role in my kids' lives. And so I think before we even get to these horizontal relationships, we have to do the vertical and the inner work, which is a bloodbath. It's not easy. It's not like this precious journey, um, but it's the gift of parenting. Because just like when you get married and you start to see, oh my gosh, I didn't know I struggled with X, Y, and Z until I keep bumping into it in these conflicts with kids, you're like being this non-judgmental observer of every interaction you have with your kids. And you're like, why do I keep doing this? <laughs> like, Why am I so anxious when we're out with people? Why do I feel like I need to control everything they say and do and the way they act? What's going on in me? And so that's the work I think that needs to happen before we even talk about what we would consider quote community in parenting. Wow. I was going to dive straight into, okay, why is community important? But I want to hear a little more about your story of this transformation. How did you get to that point of knowing, okay, I know community is important, but this matters first? Well, I would say I was the one who first kid in, I hosted our first play group. Like I knew I had moms all around me um, from, I had a one week old when I hosted my play group. So I, I was bought into the community idea. Um, but what happened was with each kid I had, my anxiety went up and up and up and I couldn't be around other people with my children because they kept making me look bad. <laughs> so I, I was so fearful of failing in this perfect mom formula I'd come up with in my head or being rejected because people had their own formulas and they saw I wasn't doing it. I didn't even know it was in their formula, but I'm already failing it. And so I'd rather you just don't see. And so I just slowly backed away from the people in our lives and hit just rock bottom when we had, I think we had a six, four, two and newborn and had a panic attack and ended up in professional counseling because I wasn't going to the people in my real life to get perspective and support. I mean, I was even in a mom heart group, you know, Sally Clarkson's mm -hmm. mom heart. I had a mentor and I still wasn't going to her with what was hard in my life. I wasn't bringing it to people. I wasn't being vulnerable because of all of my fears and my wrong beliefs. So believing like that our identity is wrapped up in how our kids perform hinders community and yeah, all the things you couldn't even open up your, your life to the people who were around you. I mean, I don't know if y'all have it. Do you have people where your kids can be a mess and you feel calm? I would say, <laughs> I would say we have places where our kids can be a mess, but what I struggle with is keeping my kids safe. So it's not necessarily that I'm worried how they're going to reflect on me. I think I just realized I'm a helicopter parent. <laughs> <laughs> and this was the moment. Ouch. I just said it out loud yeah, and it just said it out loud. Yeah. But I feel like we don't have a lot of people around us that would, that would judge our, our kids behavior, but I'm like, I need to be there so that I can help them walk through this thing that they hear, or I've got to be there to protect them from this kid's language or whatever it is. 
because the belief is if I don't, then they're going to turn out to be X, Y, and Z. And the message I start with is you're important, but you're not essential. There are people I know that their birth mom passed away when they were born. My friend, Kat Lee, she's an amazing mom. She has a great ministry. God still had good plans for her in advance and her mom wasn't essential to them. Other people came in and filled her spot. And we believe that when a mom passes away, but we don't believe it when the mom is still around or the dad is still around. We think, oh no, it's all up to me. And I am the one who will be fully responsible for their safety. I was that person. I was terrified our first trip out of town. I think I was pregnant with my second. We were going to go to Costa Rica and my parents were watching my oldest and he was like a toddler, like one and a half. And they had just bought this house with a pool. And I was obsessed with the fact that they were going to not be paying attention and that he might drown. And I had, I, it was that moment when I thought, oh my goodness, I am believing that my children are only safe in my presence. So what's going to happen when, not if, when they get hurt, when they break an arm, am I going to believe, oh my goodness, I failed because my child got hurt or passed away. I have a cousin and her son did pass away and drown. So what beliefs are we holding outside of the tragedy that are inhibiting our freedom as parents to love and come alongside our kids and speak um, life words? Like, I don't know. Every parent is a different thing. Like you're saying, I don't, not every parent is it the behavior is a reflection on what people think about me, but do that work and figure that out. And yeah, even between the two of us, I would say mine is a little bit less of what Alan just said, but it's more, you know, I'm not necessarily worried that people are going to judge my kids, although they're, they've got some intensities. And sometimes I feel like, do anybody else's kids do this? <laughs> but I am worried about how I can't hold everything together internally. Like the noise level stresses me out. Lots of people, lots of activity, and that tends to be something that I pull away from because I just get overwhelmed really easily. I mean, every parent has something, yeah. but it does, the messages we send our kids because of the struggles we're having internally, doing that work to figure that out. And I think the challenge is, is when our something, like in my case, removes us from the very people that we need to help us be the parent we want to be. I'm a better parent when I have a friend who can point out the gift in my kid that I'm not seeing. When my inner messaging is seeing their behavior and saying, oh my gosh, they're so ungrateful. (laughs) I can't believe they just said that. And my friend is like, oh no, to me, it sounded like they were just trying to figure out the plan. They weren't questioning in a way that was saying they didn't appreciate what you did. They just sounded like a planner. And I was like, oh, yeah, he kind of is a planner. It doesn't have anything to do with his heart of gratitude or ingratitude. So having other people's perspectives and how they love my kids that I'm having a hard time with, super, super helpful. Yeah. So when you're kind of in that mode of focusing on what needs to be fixed or what character quality they're lacking or some big intense moment in your mind, that friend might come along and call out a good gift. What else would you say 
as a reason why community is important as families? Well, there's so many. There's so many. Really, to me, it's living out the commands of the New Testament over and over again. I have a little list here. I don't know how many verses, but there's this many verses to the people listening. It's a page of verses about one another. All the times that either Paul or Jesus commands us to live a one another life and our culture is, and everyone's talking about it. It's, it's an epidemic of isolation and it's not related to the pandemic, although that may have exacerbated some of it. Um, it's this, a little bit of pride, like I got it. I'm good. I mean, when you offer help to a mom, doesn't she say, oh no, I'm good. Yeah. Yeah. And it's obvious she's not good. Yeah. Sometimes I think through, I'm going to have to like give a really specific way of this is how I want to help you because I can't anticipate that the answer will be, no, I got it. It's okay. No, they don't want to burden you. Mm -hmm. Everybody's busy, all of these things. But a mom in our launch team, she, we were encouraging them to kind of come alongside friends, text people, offer support. And she said, oh, I offered for my friend's kids to come play with my kids. And she said, I was surprised. It was really fantastic. The kids played great together. She got to have hours of, you know, time to herself to go do errands and such and such. And she said, and now she's offered to watch my kids tomorrow so I can have time. And I'm like, yes, it's opening that little bit of a, the box that you've created of saying, oh, what would this look like? If instead of trying to muster all the energy to be all the things, I kind of extended an offer to a mom and then she might want to reciprocate or not. You're not doing it for that. But the gift of when you sometimes have other people's kids over is your kids behave better and get along better than they did when they're just their siblings. Um, So there's that benefit from community for sure. Uh, I would also say, in my journey from the panic attack and kind of pulling away from community and doing the inner healing work and the 12 step recovery to get to the place where I have really deep, deep, deep friendships is life circumstances happen outside of your kids. So my mom was diagnosed with breast cancer. My dad then suddenly got sick and passed away. And it was those people that God had kind of cultivated and developed relationships with that supported me through the hardest season and my whole, my journey to this point of, you know, yes, I'm a mom, but I was a daughter who was needed. And, um, I didn't have to all of a sudden be like, oh, I better make some friends (laughs) can bring me meals or, you know, one friend, I share the story. She just dropped a cooler off of food. Like you said, something very specific that you can do. I didn't ask her, hey, will you go get X, Y, and Z at the grocery store? She just dropped a cooler full of food. And it was super, super helpful in a season where I couldn't even think about groceries, not just dinners, but bread, milk, (laughs) basics. Um, Something that you said right then just made me think about my my dad passed away from a sudden heart attack when we were we had just moved overseas. We were there in our first week 
And then we had to turn around and come back. My daughter was a newborn. Mm. And our, it's interesting because the people who walked with us through that have moved, most of them. There have been a lot of people who have either moved, some of them even overseas themselves or to a different church or out of town. Uh, I don't know if that was just because it was a more transient time, you know, being in the 20s instead of the 30s. But do you have anything that you would offer to me, you know, for help if those people who walked with me through this, some of them are are still there, but there's been a lot of change. Yeah. It's in the whole, you know, timeline of parenting. I think there are blips of friendships that happen and there might be the ones that are there. If, if you live in the same area, they might be there the whole time, but I definitely think there are seasons of, you know, your kids started a new school and it's just those like when we, when I was homeschooled, we had a group that we met with, you know, so my mom had those friendships, but I think it's when you're in those places, you can be in the same vicinity of those other parents from your church, from your school group, from whatever extracurricular, I mean, the sidelines of a soccer game, and you can just stand there. You don't have to, I mean, when you go through something hard, you're automatically vulnerable and willing to take help. But I think the challenge is, is when you are in a quote unquote good place and you need to cultivate those relationships that requires moment to moment vulnerability that most of us aren't willing to show because of those beliefs that I have to keep up this image of I've got it all together. Nothing's wrong. I'm a good parent. And I've just found that other parents connect more with your identification than any kind of insight or advice. And so if someone shares something hard with you, sitting with them in that moment, feeling that feeling with them, asking what they need, or you doing the same is just going a little deeper. And if the sidelines of the soccer field isn't cutting it for you, find a mom that you're like, I would really like to go deeper with that mom. Maybe invite her to go to the park, coffee, sometime where you're one-on-one and just kind of test the waters, offer something hard that you're walking through and see how she responds to it. Is she identifying with that and sharing her own hard thing? Or is she kind of changing the subject and wanting to stay light and fluffy? That may not be your person. If she's oversharing to the point that you're like, oh my gosh, I'm so overwhelmed by this. She may be in a place where She's looking to people to be the only thing God can provide, the depth that only a friendship and relationship that only God can provide. Um, but it's worth it's worth the risk to put yourself out there. It's just better. I don't know. How, it's just yes. better. Yes. And I love the <laughs> practical tips too of, I sometimes think because I did experience such depth of friendship, you know, people walking me through the loss of my dad, that when I'm starting over in a new place, that it should be this overnight thing. But I like those suggestions. You know, I think that would apply to dads too. I know Alan, you know, we'll talk to people and it'll be the same kind of response. Maybe there's a lack of sharing or not typically an oversharing that I've heard you say. (laughs) 
But <laughs> we dads can get real emotional. <laughs> yeah, you cry and hold hands. A lot on the park bench in public. On the park bench. That's good. Yeah. Bruce will do a lot of breakfast. He actually just had a breakfast this morning with a dad friend in our small group. That's a good idea. Yeah. Lunch. So I guess I'm thinking of all of my excuses why this is hard. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, we've got young kids. Breakfast is when we do our family devotions. So I'm immediately like, oh yeah, well I can't do breakfast. But you could miss a family devotion. Once every other week, my dad used to take us on donut dates every other week, but I knew every Friday morning he met with his prayer partner. And that to me modeled, my dad is intentional to seek Christ alongside his friend. So it wasn't about family devotions, but it was about modeling for me the life that I'm going to leave lead forever. And so sometimes, yeah, those excuses of like, oh, this is the intentional thing that's most important. But what if the most important thing is us living out our Christian faith alongside each other so that our kids live that kind of life, you know? Yeah, man, that's good. So, okay. How about like personality conflicts? Like, well, I'm an introvert, so it's harder for me to talk on the soccer field. So for introverts, the advice is, are there three or four people that you want to get to know better and pick those four people and they, you get one a week that you make a touch point with to go deeper with each of them. You, you may not be the crowd guy, you know, who's wooing everyone left and right, but that depth of relationship is really valuable to that other person too. I'm sure there are other introverted dads that would appreciate an invite who doesn't like to be invited, you know? I mean, there are times you're like, it's Friday night. I'd rather be in my PJs, but the invitation always feels good. Even if you say no, even if you can't do it. So I don't know. I'm just, I am, I struggle to be the inviter and initiate, but it's such a gift when I do, even if it's with a stranger, even if I invite a conversation with a stranger, I walk away just really encouraged. And I don't know. Yeah. And I think what I'm hearing is if, if we just sit around saying, why can't we find community? This is so hard. Yeah. I'm going to be at breakfast every morning with my kids doing our family devotions, but I can't find anybody else. Why is this so hard? But if, if we go out and find people and, and prayer, God's going to provide, right. But, but it takes a little initiative. I would say first step, first step is pray. I have prayed with people who are like, I have literally no one. I'm in a new town. I have no one. And I'll pray over DMs. There's that voice memo option on Instagram. Mm -hmm. And I'll pray with them and they will come back and say, God, open my eyes. I found this friend. So I do think there's the Holy Spirit's working. I mean, we have one spirit that communicates (laughs) amongst believers and draws us to one another. And I really think if there's something you want, create it, Yeah, create the thing that you want. If you want intentional time with another family, maybe Friday nights is a great night. That's when our small group would get together once a month, the first Friday of the month, um, dinner at somebody's house. And whether we all pitched in and brought different parts of it, like the dessert or the drinks or the kids food or the main meal, the kids all play chaos. Who cares? The parents can have time to connect. And, you know, if you want to go next level and feel real intentional, you can have a blessing that you speak over your kids as a group 
And then everybody's getting to hear, you know, this blessing of God's identity over each of your kids. So, yeah, yeah that's good. So, okay. I don't know if you can tell we're a little intense over here and it's hard to get like out it. of the box. <laughs> so I like the idea of like, we can do this once a month. It's, it's not like we have to say, okay, are y'all available every Friday quarter. night? Are y'all willing to commit to this? Once a quarter, you can do it once a quarter. It's more than what you're doing now. If you did it once ever, it would be memorable for your kids. Yeah. So we've talked about some of our barriers to community. We heard you talking about one of your barriers in the earlier stages of your mothering. You know, you had a Wednesday night church dinner and it was just kind of chaos. And so we can relate to avoiding chaos. So can you talk a little bit more about how you overcame avoiding that situation and what what was good about it? So that was the season of Bruce working a ton. He would maybe sleep two hours a night. And me wanting to be a part of where my friends were on Wednesday nights, they had like a choir for the kids. And I thought, well, this is a good way. You know, I don't have to cook dinner, but I would show up and all the kids would just start running around. (laughs) Like there's older people there. I don't want you to knock anybody over. It's embarrassing again. Um, It just wasn't enjoyable. I wasn't having good conversation with friends. Even it didn't feel like it was worth the time and the effort. It felt like a fail every time I tried. And so I just stopped doing it. Then I went through all that healing work, dealt with a lot of my anxiety, also kind of communicated to my kids, Hey, there may be other children running around the building, but these are the reasons why I don't want you to do that. When we're at dinner, there are some people, that if they fell, it would be, it could be really a big deal for them, like hip surgery. And that's really dangerous surgery. And we don't want to be those that kind of community to people. So if you want to run around, there is a playground. So you can go run around in the playground. So it was just like a lot of coaching on the front end of expectations so that we could have a more enjoyable meal. And then they would go off to the playground and I could still sit with my friends and talk. But there was a lot of work for me too. Like they're not going to be perfect. They may say something really rude to the pastor and the pastor's fine. He can handle it. He's an adult, (laughs) you know? Yeah. Adults expect kids to act childish. It's when, what's when we act childish in response to that behavior. That's a little more concerning. So it wasn't like you just grit your teeth and let's just grit my teeth and bear this. You did it was God leading you through the the work in your heart and your beliefs. Yeah, it was kind of coinciding. I mean, all of it kind of coincided to where, I mean, I don't, you don't want to set your kids up to fail. You don't want to set yourself up to fail, but at the same time, we are going to have to take risks and do things that may make us uncomfortable. And for me as a believer, that motivation on why I would do uncomfortable things with a goal of connecting with people is Jesus left heaven for a baby's body. The most vulnerable choice I can imagine. He hung on a cross, another very uncomfortable, shaming situation, just so that we could be with him in heaven forever. And so, whatever discomfort or challenge or pushing outside my bounds of 
what my personality may prefer. If the goal is to walk alongside people, as messy as it may be, I think I think that's God's heart. Okay, that makes sense. So we don't want to set ourselves or our kids up for failure, but we may have to take risks outside of our comfort zone to make community happen. And then even though my instinct is to protect my kids at all costs, it may be that I need to let them and and myself really take some risks so that I can engage in community so that our family can engage in community. And it may mean that they hear some words I don't want them to hear, or maybe they get hurt or I've had three boys break their arms and I was right there. Yeah. And you know what? It healed. And it was part of their story and resiliency happens. And if we like keep them from any harm happening we're actually keeping them from the growth. They don't have the problem solving either. We're solving every problem for them. Mm-hmm. You that know what I mean? That's such a good point. And with your book in the table of contents, even, I mean, you could see how good this is going to be with getting to the heart of what we're talking about, the isolating ideas versus a connecting truth in every chapter. I think that's so foundational. So, you know, with our worry and anxiety about what's going to happen and therefore withholding ourselves from that place of potential intimacy with other families. Even that first one, I'm fully responsible for my child's outcome, but the connecting truth, I am important, but not essential in God's plan for my child. And so you already mentioned that in the context of letting other families in to you know help call out good gifts in our kids, mentor, disciple, but I'm seeing that playing out in the way of I'm important, but God is the one who is orchestrating everything. And it's not my job to make sure that they don't hear something I don't want them to hear when I'm not around. Let's say they do. You train them that if you hear something and you don't understand what it is, you just come tell me. We're not going to be able to bubble. I'm just telling y'all aren't even there yet, but you're not going to keep them from seeing hard things. But the, the filters are what you're building in them. The ability to engage the world and have a filter to say what lines up with God's truth and what doesn't. And for you to be like connected families talks about a safe place for them to say, mom, what does that mean? You know, and then know that you're not going to be like, oh my gosh, where did you hear that? I can't believe it. We got to call the police. We got to, you know, shut everything down. Yes. Because will (laughs) they ever want to come tell us again after that? No. (laughs) Man, that's a good reminder. I've. I read that first chapter and thought, well, this doesn't really apply to me. This isn't really what I struggle with. So I'm going to go back and reread it. Interesting. There were were plenty that we were like, yes, but you were kind of like, this isn't the main one I want to delve into. Yeah. I think there was a section they cut out that talks about the safety piece because it was a little, you know, it was my my cousin drowning that the drowning thing. Like, was she a bad mom? And I don't think she is. I had a whole section on the good. And I think if we, if we kind of hold to the biblical good, a lot of hard happens over and over for people who follow Jesus, old Testament characters and David against Goliath. Come on. Yeah. What do we prize more than like living out our life in a joy filled community? There's not, burdensome. Like you talked about when you do it, you experience the blessing of it and you're like, I want to do this again. Yeah. So we've talked about how it's important to have community. 
is it important to have community as a family? So I'm thinking about how when when you're single, it's easy to find friends. Then you get married and it gets a little harder because you got to find two people that you like. And then when you have kids, then you got to find two people that you like and their kids that you like. And so is, I mean, I'm, I'm assuming that's just another excuse. So just go ahead and let me have it. <laughs> you're so funny. Um, I do think there's an element and because you're a homeschool family, you've already experienced this where kids of different ages hang out together. And so age isn't really a thing, but I, I think in this like traditional schools, often kids hang out, like all the fourth graders hang out, all the sixth graders hang out. Um, we did a couple trips that kind of opened my eyes to having a variety of ages and maybe personalities that wouldn't necessarily click and seeing the gifts in learning how to be around people that are annoying, <laughs> you know, or being around someone that you don't particularly like the same things, you know, instead of, I have to be around only people that are just like me. I think what's happened even in our culture this last year with all the division within the church is how can we be united and think differently about a situation? And what is it in my mind that is causing me to think you have to agree with me for me to be okay? Is it my insecurities in my view that if I have to be super passionate about my stance on this and convince you that my way is right so that my security strengthens in my approach. And so, I mean, that's just some of like the divisions that can happen personality wise. Of course, we're going to be drawn to certain people over others. And I don't think that's wrong. I also think, you know, I have my own friendships outside of Bruce. He has his own friendships outside of me. There's a group of couples that we all hang out with that not necessarily our kids hang out with. It is very hard to find other families with four boys, but there is another family in our church. They have five boys and, you know, they've had us over before and our boys hang out. Um, are they best friends? No, but I think that there, there's a gift to those gatherings where some conflicts happen and they have to work it out and you help them resolve it. Like the connected families way of, you know, conflict resolution. If everyone gets along beautifully, that's a gift, but I don't think, I think that's more rare. That's the exception. Yeah. So what's the opportunity in the mm-hmm. conflicts that'll happen? Yeesh. Instead of just believing. I would- if you think about the early church, it wasn't like they got to nitpick who they live life with. They got who they got. And that's why Paul over and over again is like, put on virtue, put on mutual affection, love. He's like, love is patient. It's kind. It's like he had to coach people that maybe we're different numbers on the Enneagram <laughs> that they even knew about that. But it, it, it's what community is. It's not a bunch of people that are exactly the same. Yes. So good. So your experience has been that your kids have their own friends sometimes just by nature of being with, you know, peers. And then you and Bruce have your own friends, but you've made intentional efforts to connect as families. That one's the Oh, a little bit harder, but then couples. I mean, I think it took me a really long time to want to do things with other families. That was really hard for me because of all of my internal barriers. Um, we did, we took a skiing trip with two other families and it was so fun. It was so fun. 
And I loved watch, you know, my oldest, he'd never been skiing. This was pre-pandemic, probably three years ago. Um, and he really struggled the first day. I think it took us half the day to go down one run. And we were sitting in the lodge and one of the other dads was there and he said, yeah, I totally get it, Quaid. I once went skiing with a friend when I was in high school and it was miserable the first day. He said, but the second day was much better and I really started to enjoy it. Well, then he was willing to get out there again. And I was like, this is awesome. They are speaking into my kids' lives. And when you get to the middle school teenage years, your voice is like a Charlie Brown adult. And those other voices, they actually listen to. And so I was thrilled. And then just the delight I saw in the other parents over my one child who I was really struggling with, his behavior and how he uh, <laughs> engages life. And they just were tickled by him. It took the intensity off of me to delight in him a little bit more. Um, I loved hanging out with their daughters. I don't have any girls. And so just being around little girls and the moms all chipped in on dinner each night, took a different night. We all packed peanut butter and jellies together. I I think that my mind would have said, that's too hard. That's going to be messy and chaotic. I don't want to do that. But the memories, I mean, we still talk about, you know, crazy things that happened, not being able to get up this mountain because it was too much mud and we were putting on chains on our tires and some guy in a truck had to come help. I mean, the stories and the memories, even in the chaos that might be stressful at the time, those are shared experiences that connect people that's worth it. Yeah. So I know in your book, you you talk about not only just doing things with other families, but also letting those families in to come alongside you as you disciple your kids. So how do you inspire other families to to do that? Like you talked about the Friday night Sabbath meal, you know, that trip you talked about in your book, these summer weekly meetings with friends. How did you invite people into that and inspire them to the the bigger vision of what could happen? Or did you not I mean, I don't, I think it was unintentional, but I, I really honestly, as I'm reflecting, even on, like I said, with my dad and his prayer partner, my parents did this. We would go to people's houses and they didn't, their kids may have been older than our, than, than we were. Um, but we would go on trips. It was part of my memories is just this alongside each other. I would call them my aunt so-and-so and and my uncle so-and-so. And And I think part of that was my parents were first generation believers. And so they didn't have um, Christian community built into their family structure. So these friends became like those aunts and uncles. And I think that's what we've done with our kids. These are people we've known since they were babies and they I think they they get the vision that we're all co-laborers for the kingdom. We all want to see this generation rise up to love Jesus and serve him with their gifts. And so I think that just their voices into my kids' lives is, it's so good. It's so good when another person can say, I see this in you. You keep going on that. I mean, I got to do it for a friend last night. We went to his musical. He's a junior in high school. He did so fantastic. 
And I got to tell him, oh my goodness, you're using your gift. And it was amazing. That's what you want. Yeah. That's really good. That's just inspiring. And in, in the, the whole umbrella of community, Like that's the goal, that we're co-laborers working together, not on an island, not trying to do it by ourselves. Or seeing it as a competition. You know, you see all the Facebook yeah. posts, so-and-so. I mean, you're not quite there where people are showing all the awards that their kids got or the accolades. But that can be super discouraging if you're having the kid who's struggling and you're seeing it as this competition and they figured out some formula so their kid is succeeding and your kid struggles with, you know, maybe a learning difference, maybe a, a physical situation. And if we're going alongside each other, even in those differences and those challenges, your close friends will see, yes, they have that challenge, but look how they overcame it here. And it may not have gotten an award, but we're cheerleading with you that this child used to slam doors and hide in a closet. And now he's participating. I mean, we've had that and they're celebrating the difference they're seeing and things that aren't, you know, getting applause from a stage. Yeah. Yeah. I feel inspired to finish reading the book, working through, you know, what's going on in me and yeah, just letting God work in my heart, but also not preventing myself from going ahead and trying a few things until I get perfect, because that's not going to happen. The goal is not, let me get myself right. And then I can invite people in. That's, that's and it's going to look it. different from, yeah, it's going to look different from what our journey was and inspiring creativity, even in your kids. Like, what could this look like? Could we have a backyard movie night with some friends or could we, you know, decorate cookies with some people this Christmas or what kind of fun ideas? ideas could they come up with? Yeah. Yeah. That's good. So Heather, if somebody wants to find out more about the book, Don't Mom Alone or your podcast, Don't Mom Alone, uh, how can they connect with you? On brand all across the board. Uh, Don't Mom Alone on Instagram, don'tmomalone.com. And if you forward slash book, you'll find more info on the book. Awesome. Well, Heather, thank you so much. This has been great. I got some stuff to go work on. So (laughs) We all do. No, we all do. Yes. Thank you so much for coming on the podcast. It's just been a blast chatting with you. And everybody listening, don't forget to check out Heather's new book, Don't Mom Alone. We'll link to it in our show notes. And go follow Heather's podcast because she publishes every week with an awesome interview or something she's sharing from herself or what she's doing. So just go check that out as well. And Heather, thanks again for coming. Thank you guys. 